Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good. All the time, He is good. What a joy to be back in Arkansas. Uh, I'm telling you, we're never hungry when we are here. We're always eating more than enough from good food. Hallelujah. Kids, go. Kids, you can go to kids' church. Have fun. Be nice to your teachers. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said, we're never hungry when we are here. We're always satisfied. We are always treated so well. Because if there is a place that's really hospitable, uh, not just in the United States of America, but come on everyone here tonight, probably in the world, one of the most hospitable places that I've met is right here in Camden, Arkansas. So thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for taking such good care of us. Uh, probably I might have to go uh, home and fast for a while <laughs> after we've been enjoying your good southern cooking. I'm going to get new recipes. I told Ms. Lavana, now praise God for cell phones. We can take pictures of recipes. So it's easy to travel so all of these wonderful recipes and bring them back home. I want to bring our love and greetings from Antioch Christian Church in Cluj, Romania, to all of you. They are praying for us. You are praying for us. And uh, we believe that all of us together, we're going to see revival. That we're going to see in this time mighty moves of God. He loves his church. He loves people. And he can wait to show himself strong among us. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak to us. We pray that you open the scriptures, that our hearts will understand, that we can receive. I believe this is good ground. People's hearts are hungry. They are open, thirsty after you. So I pray that you come and that you feed us all with the word of God. And I pray that even as the word is being preached tonight, that uh, people will hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. And they will receive it uh, for themselves. That it will be the word of God for each and every single one of them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that above all that you help me tonight to deliver your message just as you do it for the glory of our Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's open the Bible tonight in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 22. I was born and raised in Romania, in the part of Romania, in the western part of Romania that many people know as Transylvania. And we live right in the heart of Transylvania. That's where Cluj is, our city. And 15 years ago, this July, uh, together with David, we have been married for 15 years. Praise God. It's only getting better. That's what I tell people. It's only getting better. 
And uh, about uh, 13 years ago, we planted our first church in Cluj, Romania. But uh, 15 years ago, it was the first time, right after we got married, this was the first church where I came to in the United States of America. And I have to say that when I met Pastor Jerry and Pastor Elaine, I was so happy. I was thinking, it's so beautiful to see pastors that have such a kind spirit, such a loving heart, always encouraging, always loving. We learned so much from them throughout the years. I remember driving together with them and uh, we'd ask them questions. We were pastors at the beginning of that, uh, that time and we'd ask them all types of questions questions related to counseling and uh, training and equipping people and they had so much wisdom you all are blessed yes you're very blessed in the book of Ezekiel in chapter 22 it says in verse 30 thank you Jesus thank you Holy Spirit so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. God is speaking here to the prophet and he starts prophesying. He's saying, I sought for a man among them all. I sought for one single person. He didn't say, I looked for a multitude of people. I looked for this mega church. I looked for a hundred thousand people. I looked for a million of people. He said, I looked for one person. I sought for one human being. One man, one woman, one child, one person. I looked for somebody that would care, that would love. I was looking for somebody that would not be selfish, but think of somebody else. Not just about their own house, their own family, their own job, their own ministry. I looked for somebody that was going to care for somebody else's house, somebody else's family their person's working place, their ministry. I looked for somebody that was going to be generous and not selfish. I looked for a person among them all, one person in a multitude. Many times we think that we are not that important to God. We don't realize the value of one human being of one soul and here God is speaking that one person is so important is so valuable that it could change the destiny of a nation I looked for one person that would stand in the gap somebody that would pray that would intercede that would make up a wall of protection that would make people feel like they are safe and taken care of, that they are protected, that they are loved, then somebody is willing to pray for them throughout the night 
when a loved one is going through a hard time, when somebody is in the hospital, somebody that is willing to pay the price. I looked for a person, one single person that can make a difference. Throughout the entire Bible, we see how God found people. We saw how God found Abraham. And out of him, a nation was born. We saw how God found Moses at the time in his life when he thought this is the wrong time, the wrong moment. And I'm the guy that has failed God before. And God found Moses and he, through one man, delivered out of slavery a whole nation. He found David, a shepherd, uh, a young boy that enjoyed worship, was taking care of his father's flock on the field. He was singing to God songs of praise and worship when nobody was around, when nobody knew too much about David at the time. In fact, he was so unpopular that when they threw a fist, they didn't even call him. That when they had a meal, they even forgot that he existed. He might have been insignificant to his own family, but he was valuable to God. He was a man after God's own heart. He was not looking for the spotlight. He was not looking to become king that day. He was just praising God. And taking care of his own responsibility. A worshiper. A man that loved the presence of God from a young age. And through that one person. God brought revival in a whole nation. It might happen even in Camden. That God can find one person. I believe when he found your pastors. He found people like that. That were willing to pay the price. Were willing to lay down their lives. And sacrifice years. Of their lives to do this. And you are fruit of their labor. And of their own sacrifice. But it's not just them. God is seeking out for you. You might think I'm old. Moses was in his 80s. Joshua and Caleb, they were in their 80s. You might think that I'm young. Jeremiah said I'm just a child. Age doesn't mean a thing. And neither does gender or race or nationality. I was born in a little village 550 houses. I never imagined that I would be doing the things that I'm doing today as a child. Growing up in communism, when you couldn't even travel outside of the country. Not even to go to Eastern Europe. And look what God has done. He's looking for you. He's not just looking for a multitude of people. In fact, Jesus was always looking, our Savior, when he was here on earth, 
for that one person. He would go in that temple and he would find a woman that was bent over for maybe a long time. And he called her a daughter of Abraham that the enemy came and attacked. Said she needs to be set free. He saw her. He was surrounded by a multitude of people one day walking on a road. And he saw in a tree a man that was too short to be able to see Jesus. And he called him by his name and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming into your house today. And Zacchaeus was a very hospitable man. He must be from the south probably. <laughs> he called his friends. Jesus was not bothered by the fact that Zacchaeus called everyone in the house when he was there. Think about that. He was not the type of celebrity that many times are used to these days. He was approachable. He loved kids. He loved everyone. And people, when Jesus would come into their house, they invited everyone there. And he would minister to them for hours. No matter how tired he was, no matter how much he traveled, he loved people. And he was always willing to wait and see who is that one man, one woman that needs to find me today. One day he was surrounded by a multitude of people that he was teaching. And then he saw some fishermen in a boat, two brothers. And he left the multitude and said, started talking to them and approached them and told Peter... Let me come in your boat. I'd like to come in your boat today. And he told the multitude for a while, spent time with the crowd, but then he turned to Peter. I said, now it's about you. You've been working hard the whole night. And now it's about you. You're willing to give me your boat. So now it's about you. Let's take this boat a little bit further. You gave this boat for the kingdom of God. But everything that we give for him is never in vain. He said, now throw your net to the other side. And that day, it wasn't just about the multitude. It was about a future apostle that was going to turn the world upside down and change nations. One man that was working hard as a fisherman didn't have the most eloquent speech, didn't have the best training school, the best Bible school. He was a simple person that God found. And his life was never the same again. God is looking for a man. In the book of Acts, in chapter 6, he says that they had a problem in the early church. And I know that that might be surprising to hear. 
a church that has a problem. They had a problem, and the problem was that they were growing too fast. So the needs of the people were not met because they used to do some things in a certain way and then growth came. So some of the needs were not being fulfilled. And they prayed. They asked God for wisdom. So the Lord in Acts chapter 6 in verse 3, it says that this is the wisdom that God gave them. They said, therefore, brethren, Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. There was a need, there was a ministry, there were some responsibilities. And they said, Seek out among you. So that shows me that God is not just looking outside of the walls of the church. For people to start following him. He also comes among us. And he's seeking out among us. Some people that are willing to volunteer. To help. To get involved. To clean. To welcome people. To clean the kitchen. To lead praise and worship. This is kind of what a pastor is looking for. Somebody that to take care of the babies in the nursery. Somebody that can organize an event. That can do some grocery shopping. I know this sounds so very spiritual. It's spiritual because without these things we cannot do the rest. Their needs, the needs of the widow in the book of Acts, the widow women. Those needs were important. They needed help. And God is looking among us for somebody to say yes. I will do this. I will take off my time. I will take off my money. I will take off my resources, of my gifts, my skills, my abilities, my training. And I will use this for the kingdom of God. And I will help the Build the church. I will help this way build people. And that way growth can be maintained. And that way growth can keep on growing. God is looking among us. For somebody that cares about people. We are all many times busy with our lives. Busy with the needs of our own families. And those things are important. Uh, many times we know we cannot overlook them. And God cares about our families. But the Lord wants us to know that He's building His church. And Jesus loved His church. Says that a husband should love his wife just as Jesus loved His church. And gave his life for the church. That's how much he loves us all. And he wants to look among us and find somebody that can catch his heart. That can catch his love. That can catch his vision. In the book of Isaiah, 
in chapter 45, there is a prophetic word that a very powerful prophet gave. All of these prophets, the big prophets of the Bible, the small prophets of the Bible, they are men that will one day meet in heaven. They were powerful and they were anointed. And people have been preaching from their prophecies for many, many thousands of years. And he says in Isaiah chapter 45, that says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and lose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, so you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, so you have not known me. There is a prophetic word in this chapter about a man. There is even a name, the name Cyrus. And this prophetic word is um, one that at the beginning of my Christian life, I read it many, many times. When I started reading my Bible, and I got at this passage, and I have not preached from this passage since this year. I remember crying a lot, thinking about how God spoke about one person and their life, their destiny. Last night, this morning, the Lord has been speaking to some of you about your life, about your destiny. What I didn't realize when I first read my Bible was that between this prophecy and the day when Cyrus was born, it was a period of time of about 150 to 200 years. God knew about him way before he was born. And he knew about you and your life your calling way before you were born. And he spoke those words to a prophet by the name of Isaiah. He told him about the king that was going to be born and he called him my anointed one. A word that was used for kings of Israel that were anointed with the oil that came from the temple of God. A special oil that was done in a special way that could never have been duplicated at homes by people. A oil that now we understand is the oil of the Holy Spirit. They had to make something then that God showed them how to do. 
But the Old Testament was a shadow of the things that were going to come, that we were going to experience truly. The oil of the Spirit of God. And then the Bible teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, called the Anointed One. And this is the only time when a pagan king is called my anointed. The one that I have anointed for a specific purpose, for a special place, for a special destiny. I have a calling for this one man. I have something that he's going to do. And the anointing on your life is for a specific purpose. Some of you is kids ministry. Some of you is praise and worship. Some of you is evangelism. Some to prophesy. Some to administrate. Some to rule. Some to teach. We are all given an anointing to be able to accomplish the calling that God has placed on our lives. And this man, Cyrus, didn't even know God. He was not aware of God. When he was born, he was born in a, in a nation that had multiple gods. They were worshipping pagan gods. Idols. And he grew up. And all of a sudden, we learn in history that this man becomes a king. At the end of the book of Second Chronicles, and I would like for us to go there, the Bible teaches in Second Chronicles, and actually when the Bible was written, there was no separation between Second Chronicles and the book of Ezra. In the book of Second Chronicles, it says this, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia. Yes. Oh, Second Chronicles chapter 36, now in verse 23. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you of all his people. May the Lord his God be with him, and let him go up. Cyrus became king of Persia, in about 550 something years before Jesus Christ. This man was a mighty warrior. He didn't know too much about his destiny in God. At the time, the people of God were in Babylon. Because of things that they have done, they were taken as slaves and brought into Babylon where they were slaves for 70 years. And Jeremiah the prophet, he prophesied about how at the end of 70 years, God is going to set his people free. And they are going to go back to Jerusalem. And we find out that about 20 years after Cyrus became king in Persia, he went to conquer Babylon. 
Babylon was one of the most powerful kingdoms at the time. He was, uh, it was also a very powerful city. It was surrounded by big walls. It had one big wall around and then a river and then another big wall. And then the city was right there in the middle. Big, powerful nation. The Babylonians at the time were more powerful than the Persians. And the historians are teaching us some things about what happened the day when Cyrus went to conquer Babylon. At the time in Babylon, there were people like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Ezra and Nehemiah. They were all in Babylon at the time. They had been taken captive, some of them when they were older, some of them when they were very young. And some of them were born in Babylon. And the Persians came one day. And some say that nobody knows how was it that the gates of the city were opened that one day. If you remember, I, said, I read from Isaiah 45. A prophetic word that God spoke about Cyrus. And in that part of the Bible in Isaiah 45 it says how God was speaking I will open the gates of iron before you the historians are saying that it was the only time that the gates were open without people from Babylon going to attack they were actually having a feast the only time when the gates opened up if the gates of the city were not open that night, Cyrus would have never been able to conquer Babylon. Nobody understands what happened. But we know something supernatural took place that one day. Destiny was going to unfold. The prophetic word was going to come to pass. The gates of iron, the impossible was going to become possible. Cyrus had a destiny. And no man, no person was going to be able to stop what God spoke that was going to happen. At that very moment, they went into Babylon. They conquered Babylon. The king at the time, his name was Belshazzar. His father's name was Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar one day saw a hand writing on a wall. Numbered, numbered, weighed in, divided, proven to be unworthy. And Daniel interpreted the writing for him. The prophetic word about Cyrus also says that people are going to become weak before him. Kings are going to become weak before him. What we find out is in Daniel that the moment when Belshazzar saw the writing, his knees started to shake and he became weak. Every single word from the prophecy of Isaiah happened. Everything happened. The king at the time, he was not a king anymore. He became like without power. He was not even able to go and fight. 
and Cyrus came in the palace. Cyrus conquered Babylon that day. Here it says, in Second Chronicles and also in Ezra in chapter 1, that there is uh, this pagan king, Cyrus, that starts saying, God, the only true God, the living God, has called me to do this thing, to set his people free and send them to Jerusalem to go and build the house of God. And we have to wonder, how did he find out about their calling? How did he find out about his destiny? When Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, the Babylonians took with them a lot of things from the temple of God. At the time it was the temple of Solomon that they destroyed and conquered. They took a lot of treasures. They took also the manuscripts. They took the scrolls with the prophecies in them. They took them to Babylon. But God has placed one man in a strategic place. And his name was Daniel. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel prospered under the reign of Darius and Cyrus the king. God has placed Daniel in a position of influence, of authority. A man that refused to change his lifestyle of prayer, of intercession, because laws were given. And when his life was threatened, he did not bend to the powers of darkness. He was willing to go into the lion's den and see God close the mouths of the lions to save him. That was Daniel, one man that made a difference. One man that part of his destiny, and probably the major part of Daniel's calling in his life, was to share one prophecy with a king. So that a whole nation will be set free. And Daniel was probably the man that God had used to show him a scroll, to show him a prophetic word about his life, that a man 150, 200 years before he was even born wrote about him. And Cyrus had thought, how was it that those gates were opened? How was it that that king didn't even want to fight? How was it that it was so easy? And he realized. And he says here in Second Chronicles and in Ezra 1, God had a plan. God had a plan. God is going to use during this time all over the world the most unusual people. People we did not expect. But God has a calling. And he has a destiny. And he's going to change cultures. He's going to change mindsets. He's going to come and set his people free. And he said, all of you, all of you that want to go, go. Says that the Lord awakened his spirit. 
awakened his spirit. And that's what we are all praying for. For an awakening. An awakening. And when we see around us. God awakening people. We should not wonder how is that he is the person. Or she is the person that God has awakened. Because the spirit of God is going to awaken people that we didn't even pray that they will be awakened. But there are prophecies that God has spoken about regions, about places, long before we were even born. This town has a destiny. This region has a calling. We have to look at the plan of God. We have to think, God, what are the prophetic words that you spoke over Arkansas? What are the prophetic words that you spoke over Camden? And we need to grab a hold of those words. And we need to start releasing them and praying them like Daniel, 21 days. He was praying from the book of Jeremiah. He understood 70 years have come to an end. God has a plan. And he didn't just stop with that prophetic word. He took that prophetic word in prayer. We need to take our prophecies in prayer, in fasting. We need to war with the prophetic words that were spoken over our lives. And he kept on praying. And as he was praying, God sent a pagan king that Daniel was going to meet in the palace. When he was taken as a slave, as a young person, I was thinking what was going through his mind. But like Joseph, there were people that loved and served and had integrity and had a life with God. Cyrus said this one thing in Ezra in chapter 1. says, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heavens has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. If a pagan king can say, God has commanded me to build his house. How much more? Us as believers, we have to say, God wants me to be involved in building his church. God wants me to be involved in building his house. We can never say, oh, I put too many hours. <laughs> I, 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 I work too much on learning how to play a guitar. So that I can help with praise and worship. We can never say this is too hard, too difficult. He said, God commanded me. Commanded me to build him a house. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And who is le- whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the man of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. The moment that you step into helping with building the house of God, provision comes. This is what happened. When all of these people, when they started to go with the intention of building the house of God, all of their neighbors... Started giving them gold, silver, and resources to help them with the project. Just as it was when people of God left Egypt. Everybody started blessing them. Because when there is freedom, 
there is blessing. When there is freedom, there is provision. And they are going to be set free and not go empty-handed. And then the king said that all those who were around them encouraged them with all of these treasures. And King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithredad, the treasurer, and counted it out to Zerubbabel, king of, prince of Judah. This is the number of them. Thirty gold platters, one thousand silver platters, twenty-nine knives, thirty gold basins, four hundred and ten silver basins of a similar kind, and one thousand other articles. And I was thinking, because when I read my Bible, I like to think, why, uh, we why do we find out here the specific number of all of these articles? Because I believe that in God's eyes, every chair is important. Every instrument in praise and worship is important. Every little article that is around us is important. He counts them all. He knows them all. That's why we take good care of them. That's why we value them and we are responsible. Because they are important. They were bought and paid for with a sacrifice. 29 knives. I was thinking about if even the knives were counted. 29 knives. That's a good title for a message. That might make some people think, what is that message all about? He found some treasures that were hidden in dark places. Just like Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 45. I will give you treasures that are hiding in some dark places. But they were not the only treasures that were hiding at the time. There were other treasures there. There was one of the best teachers, Ezra, was in Babylon at the time. Nobody knew who Ezra was. He was a great teacher, a powerful teacher. He was going to teach throughout a revival that was happening in a land. He taught people the word of God people that were experiencing a great revival. There was Nehemiah there. Nobody knew before who Nehemiah was. He was a cupbearer, but he was having apostolic governing anointing. He was a leader, a powerful man. There was Zerubbabel there. Now that's an interesting name to name your kid. He thought that Mihaela was hard to pronounce. Think about Zerubbabel. <laughs> he was there, a prince of Judah. He was a man that had a calling. He had a destiny on his life. Him, together with Joshua, the high priest at the time, 
the two of them came with over 42,000 people to Jerusalem to build the house of God. And they were carrying all of these treasures, but more than the things of gold and silver, the treasures were the people. They were the true treasures that were hiding in Babylon. And God was going to set him, his people free out of Babylon so that they can go and do his work in the house of God. There are some people that are in Babylon today in the system of the world caught up with so many things and God has a calling on their lives and he wants us to go and reach out to them and bring them back into the house of God. Bring them back into their calling, into their destiny. So when Zerubbabel goes back, it's a journey of about four months that they have to take. They go back home, they look and check out their houses, their properties, their families had left behind 70 years ago. And the first thing that they do when they come together again in Jerusalem is that they build the altar of worship. That is truly the foundation of our lives. It's our relationship with the Lord that needs to be built strong. And they were worshiping together. They built that altar. It was a beautiful thing. And then it says that in the second year, they gathered together, all of them as one person as one man and they started now to build something else they started to build the foundation of the house he says that from the first day of the seventh month they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord also the foundation was not laid yet they also gave money in chapter 3 verse 7 to the masons and the carpenters, and food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, to bring all types of material to build a house. And in the second month, verse 8, of the second year of their coming to the house of God, Zerubbabel and Joshua and others, together as one person began work and appointed the Levites to oversee the work. And then it says in verse 10, when the builders, in chapter 3, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever, the word Israel. As they were laying the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they started singing, for he is good. His mercies endure forever. They were singing. There was a foundation. All of them together praising God. 
Nehemiah was not there yet. The walls of the cities had not been built yet. Around them there was rubbish. Around them there was a disaster. There was a mess. All around them there was stones burned by the fire. Walls that had fallen to the ground. Gates that were burned. The only thing that was looking nice that day was the foundation of the house of God. And as they were singing, what they were seeing around them with these eyes was a mess. In the middle of that mess, they were singing that He is good and His mercy endures forever. People say sometimes, well, I don't feel like really praising God. Well, I feel like I'm a fake if I praise God and look at what the things are happening in my life. The reason why we can praise God is because they praise God. We can praise God not because of what we see with these eyes. But because of what we know that he is doing. Because of the things that we know about him. Of how he is. For he is good. And what he started in our lives. All he needs is a little foundation. All he takes is a little worship. All is necessary is that altar. And I can still sing for he is good. And his love endures forever. How were they able to sing in prison? Paul and Silas with shackles around their feet. With their back destroyed by the whipping, the pain, the blood all over their clothes. How were they able to sing praises to God in the middle of pain? In a prison. Because they knew who he is. And because they knew what he can do. That's why we are singing. That's why we are worshiping God. Not because of the things we see with these eyes. It's because of the things we see with the eyes of the spirit. And in the spirit we can see that we have victory in God. And with the spirit we can see that he is more than a conqueror. And we are more than victorious. Through him that loves us. With these eyes I can see my God at work. That there are more that are with us than those that are against us. And with these eyes I can see that victory is coming. And with these eyes I can see that my family is restored and redeemed. With these eyes I can see in the spirit. And God wants to take his church away from what we can see with these eyes. The problems. The circumstances that will not get easily offended. That will not look at people's faces and think they have something against us. That seeing with these eyes. We need to look at the eyes of the spirit. We need to see people through the eyes of Jesus. We need to see love. We need to see love. A life of praise and worship. A life of prayer and supplication. There was one man, and we heard about him this morning, named Cornelius. One man. Your prayers, your alms, they have raised before God as a memorial. And now your answers are coming. Now your answers are coming. 
And they were praising God together. And some people were shouting for joy. And some were crying. And they were crying. Because they remember. They were that old to remember the temple of Solomon. They were probably somewhere in their 80s or 90s. And they were thinking. When they looked at this foundation. They were thinking the foundation of the temple of Solomon was so much bigger than this foundation. They were looking with these eyes. It doesn't matter how a building looks. The temple of Solomon was one of the richest temples in history. It had gold, it had all types of treasures. And it was brought to ruin, to nothing. But this temple that they were going to build. This temple, the prophet Haggai, he prophesied. And he told the people that were struggling then building this temple. He said, the glory of this former temple will be bigger than the glory of the other temple. Why was it going to be bigger? Because 500 years after, there's going to be a man that will walk into that temple that they were building that day. And he was the son of God. Because Jesus didn't walk into the temple of Solomon. He walked into this temple that they were building. Out of rubbish, out of misery, out of a disaster. They were building hard work, hard labor. But they did it right. They did it well. They did it with praise, with worship, with prayer. They brought their offerings and sacrifices to God. They were one heart. Their spirits had been awakened by God. They left the comfort of Babylon to go and work on a hard project. To get their hands dirty. They left the houses that they had in Babylon. Whatever they had there. To go and start from nothing. From nothing. To go among fear. To go among a disaster in a whole nation that was ruined. But their spirit was awakened by God and they had a vision of building a temple that was going to carry the glory of God the Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit the glory of God dwells inside of us what we are building here is an atmosphere for the Son of God to walk among us every single time when we meet. When there is a person that is not saved and comes here to meet the Lord. When it's somebody that is sick to come here to get healed. Tonight, this is God, me able to speak without one time coughing. I had a terrible cough. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your prayers. The glory of that temple was powerful. The miracles that were going to happen 
in that temple. The teaching that was going to be heard in that temple. If Ezra could only know. If Nehemiah could only know. If Zerubbabel could only know who was going to walk one day in the temple that they worked on. If we could only know. If we could only know what God will do in 10 years here. If we could only know what God will do maybe in a week here. If we could only let faith arise in our hearts. So that we know that we're not building anything in vain. That everything we do is for generations to come. For your children and your children's children to come. And meet God and have revival. What God wants is to awaken our spirit. And to know that he's looking for one man. One man. This is what Jesus spoke to Ananias in the book of Acts in chapter 9. said, go into that house and look for one man. His name is Saul. I have a calling. I have a destiny with him. Go into that house and look and find him. Go and find him. And when Paul later on ends up in Tarsus with doing nothing at that time with his life. Barnabas, a powerful man of God, has a vision of something that God wants to do with this Paul. And he goes in Tarsus and he seeks for him and he looks after him and he finds Saul. And brings him. And the Bible actually says that he drags him to Antioch. He brings him all the way there. And he says, no, you cannot waste your life. You cannot waste your calling. And in that place, Paul found destiny. Let's go and seek and find the lost. Let's go and seek and find people that have a calling. Let's go on and call somebody that needs to hear that there is an awakening that God is doing among us. Because his spirit is moving over us. And he's awakening our hearts and he's awakening our spirit. Can you say tonight, God awaken me. Let me be that person that you can find. Let me be that one that you have been seeking for. Let me go and be the person that washes the bathroom. Let me go be the person that does work in the kitchen. Whatever it takes, Jesus, I want to be found by you. Because he's looking among us and he's seeking to see somebody that will answer his call. Let's stand up together. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Your name might not be Cyrus. Your name is probably not Zerubbabel. But God knows your name. He knows you by your name. And you are here tonight. And I pray that a fire will be stirred in your heart. That you'll have a passion to build the house of God. That you have a passion. To go and seek and find people. And see destiny in people. And invest of your life. He's looking for a man. 
that will stand in the gap for others. Come Holy Spirit and move over us tonight. Come Holy Spirit.